0: Hey, everyone, this is Scott from the Assurance of Pardon podcast. We are a growing network of podcasts, and today we're excited to release our latest show, The Timothy Podcast. The Timothy Podcast is geared toward aspiring preachers and pastors and ministers as they discuss the topic of preaching. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. You can find The Timothy Podcast on Apple Podcasts and
1: Spotify, as well as on social media. Enjoy. In his final letter to his protege, Timothy, the Apostle Paul recorded these words, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The Timothy podcast is for aspiring Christian ministers pursuing pastoral ministry. Each episode, we will listen to and discuss the topic of preaching with seasoned Christian ministers within the church. Just as Timothy looked to Paul, we look to these ministers for wisdom and insight, as we too take up the mantle of preaching. On episode number one, we interviewed Dr. Russell St. John. Pastor Russ is the senior pastor of Twin Oaks Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri. He is a graduate of Washington State University, Covenant Theological Seminary, and the London School of Theology at Middlesex University. Pastor Russ has earned a D.Min. and a Ph.D. in the field of homiletics, and he also serves as a visiting instructor at Covenant Seminary. Pastor Russ is married to Amy, and they have six children, one German Shepherd, and a Great Dane. I first met Pastor Russ last year during my homiletics course in seminary. Pastor Russ is not only a gifted and skilled expositor, he genuinely cares about his students, investing in my life and so many others. I knew he would be the perfect addition for our first episode. So grab a pen and paper and prepare to take notes because this was an awesome episode. Welcome to the Timothy Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Stover, and today I have with me Dr. Russell St. John. Russ, how are you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm doing well. How about you?
1: I'm doing well as best I can. We are in the middle of quarantine. It is April 9th, 2020. Um, and so everyone has been relegated. To their homes. Um, How is the church holding up during this time?
0: You know, we're doing well, trying uh, trying to care for God's people, and they're trying to stay in touch with each other. And, uh, you know, our chief shepherd knows what he's doing, but sometimes those of us who are called to be under under shepherds are completely confused. And (laughs) so we rely on him and do our best.
1: Yeah, I cannot I cannot imagine ministering at this time. I, I sent an email out to my my pastor yesterday, just letting him know how thankful I I was for him. And yeah, they have just gone above and beyond during this season. Um, so today we're going to be talking about preaching, and uh, preaching is uh, a passion of yours, uh, a specialty of yours. We're going to be asking some simple questions, but sometimes um, simple questions can be the hardest. And so, Russ, I, I just want to ask you, what is preaching?
0: You know, you'd, you'd think that that's, a, I think, a fairly straightforward answer, but at least within evangelical circles, there there seem to be a couple of different camps. Uh, one of the camps defines preaching as the exposition and application of a text. Just say what the text says and, uh, and apply it to the best of your ability and leave it at that. Another camp, and I would probably put myself in this camp, says... Really defines preaching more as the exposition and application of a text under the authority of the redemptive reality that the person and work of Christ has inaugurated. Um, and maybe it's easier. Maybe it's easier to give some examples to to explain that. I mean, if you look at Acts chapter two, uh, Peter Peter expounded. He he expounded and applied and explained uh, Psalm sixteen and Psalm one ten. But he didn't leave his listeners in a posture of waiting for a holy one who would not see corruption. He didn't leave them in a posture of waiting to find out who the Lord that David was speaking about in Psalm 110 was, who who would someday use his enemies as a a footstool for his feet. Uh, He walked them forward in redemptive history, so to speak, and showed that Christ was the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises. Uh, The book of Hebrews, which which a lot of people believe originally was a sermon, does the same thing with the Old Testament. It doesn't, it doesn't leave people wondering who, uh, who this Messiah is, or wondering what the significance of these Old Testament passages were. Jesus in Luke 24 talks to his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he opens their minds so that they understand uh, from Moses and all the prophets, what it was that the Old Testament was saying and how it found its completion, its consummation, its fulfillment um, in the person and work of Christ. And so from that perspective, I think that that we can make the argument that the New Testament is the divinely inspired and authoritative interpretation of the Old Testament. And we can't rightly understand passages in the Old Testament apart from their fulfillment in Christ. All right. So, you know, I, I think then that, that looking at preaching only as the proclamation of a text. If I only proclaim to you a passage of law and leave it as law, but I don't tell you that Christ fulfilled that law, and I don't tell you that it's only by the power of his Holy Spirit within you that you also are enabled to fulfill the law, then I'm not really proclaiming that law faithfully. Uh, And I'm throwing you back on your own resources to do something that no fallen human being has the ability to do.
1: Mm.
0: So... You know, Paul said in Colossians 128, him we proclaim. He was referring to Jesus. Um, and uh, and that's what I think that, that, that real preaching aims to do is it aims to expound the text, yes. It aims to apply the text, yes, but under the authority of the reality of the redemptive work of Christ.
1: You reminded me, uh, and I know that you're a fan of Brian Chappell. Towards the beginning of his book, he says, the goal of preaching is not merely imparting information, but it's providing the means of transformation ordained by God. Yes, uh, and then he, and then he even provides a quote. Uh, I think it was Ian Tate who said, "Those who study the Bible only to gain more information may believe their minds are expanding when, in fact, their heads are swelling." <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Knowledge, yeah, knowledge purely for knowledge's sake puffeth up. Yes. Yes, it does. So, so why is preaching important? Why do we do this? I, I, you know, I cannot think of any other um, public sphere in which you know, hundreds of people gather to listen to one man speak. Why do we do this?
0: Yeah. I, you know, Theologians talk about something called the means of grace, and a means is an instrument. And so when, when a man wants to make a nail go into a piece of wood, he doesn't smack it with his hand. He uses the proper instrument for the job, which is a hammer well the lord has has ordained instruments that he intends to use to impart saving and sanctifying grace and preaching is one of the one of the outward and ordinary means of grace or instruments of of grace i think this is where in some respects the the confessional documents at least the ones to which to which i subscribe which are the the westminster standards are helpful the 89th question and answer of the Shorter Catechism asks, how is the Word of God made effectual unto salvation? And it says that the, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual mm-hmm. means of convincing and converting sinners. Um, and so we recognize that, that preaching is one of the appointed instrumentalities that, that God has given for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. And we know this also, you know, because Paul talks about this in Romans when he asks, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And he concludes cl- by by saying, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Um, so God uses preaching to, to save and sanctify. It's the primary thing that, that, he, that he employs. And uh, if that's what God has ordained, then that's what we should be about the business of doing
1: who can be a preacher?
0: Uh, That's a great question. In the broad sense of the word, in the broad sense of bearing responsibility to testify to who Jesus is and what he's done, and how each human being is required to respond to him. And in the broad sense of exhorting one another from the word or seeking to encourage each other or spur one another on to love and good works, then I think every Christian has the responsibility to do those things. Um, In a narrower sense of regular pulpit ministry, I think the larger catechism is very helpful in this regard. Uh, In larger catechism question answer 158, it asks this very question, by whom is the word of God to be preached? And it answers, the word of God is to be preached only by such as are sufficiently gifted and also duly approved and called to that office. And that's helpful to my mind for, for the reasons that it lays out. The first is that a person has to be gifted. There are some people who are gifted with the, the ability to teach and preach. And some people are not. Mm-hmm. And that's a choice that the Holy Spirit makes. And a, a choice of apportioning out the gifts for the good of the body. And So uh, a person who is to, to, te- to preach should be gifted to do so. But the second part of that is also important that that person is is approved, um, duly approved and called. And that speaks to both the inward and outward call. Uh, a, A person feels an inward call by the Holy Spirit to the work of preaching, but the church has to approve that call. The church has to say, yes, we see also in you the same gifts that you see in yourself. We we believe that you will be profitable to God's people. The church has to approve that call. And then it really is thirdly a call to office. And so the person who, who wants to preach has to fulfill the qualifications for the office of elder as they're laid out in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And so when you put those three things together, that, that the person who wants to be a preacher has to have the requisite gifting, uh, the, the approval and calling of the church and also the qualifications for office, then you get a picture of who it is that ought to preach.
1: Yeah, that's great. I remember I went to Bible college, and our introduction to Christian education, this was back in 2007, I remember our professor coming to us, and and at the time I thought he was he was being a jerk, because he said, some of you are here because you desire to be a pastor, because your grandmother told you you could be a pastor or your dad was a pastor and, and you feel like you can be a pastor. And, uh, and then he proceeded to explain what, what you just explained, the outward and the inward call. Um, so, so how important is it? Is it important that, you know, say a person has all of the necessary gifts, but he does not have a church or his church has not affirmed those gifts. I mean, can we get by without the outward, the yeah. outward affirmation of that?
0: No, I think, that, uh, I think that the wise man, the wise believer, if he really believes he's called, also really believes what the Word of God says, which is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And okay. so no man is going to trust his own heart, not, not fully, not in something as important as the proclamation of the Word of God, not when eternal lives are at stake, not when there are sheep to be tended. Uh, the, the wise man is going then to go to others, and look for the outward call and require the outward call and not intrude himself into a work that he may not actually be called to do or that he may not be as gifted for as he he might think he is
1: right and this is a responsibility of the church too to you know minister to those who are being called into the ministry and and the elders of that church to come together and to evaluate a person's skills and you know we we that way we don't just essentially you know rubber stamp everybody who who says that they're called um, yeah. and it and it also teaches that even as ministers that we are accountable to the church
0: and, and, and it's not uh, nobody wants to hear no you're not actually called to what you think you're called to mm. and that might hurt one's pride but if you're really in it to serve the lord and to bless his church then you will want to know that you won't actually be blessing his church through your ministrations because you don't actually have the gifts that you think you have. And you wouldn't be profiting the sheep in the way that you hope to be profiting the sheep. And if that's the case, then uh, if, you're, if you're really conscientiously seeking the good of the Lord uh, and his people, then you're going to want to hear the truth about where your gifts lie so that you can apply yourself to the right field of endeavor.
1: Yeah. So we've talked about giftedness and, and the spirit doing that and, and, and people, there are certainly um, people who just seem to have an innate ability to communicate and, and to speak. Um, but, but where is the power in the preaching?
0: Yeah. You know, the, I think the the scripture is very clear on this in uh, in John 15, uh, obviously, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Pretty strongly indicates that he supplies the power. And you also see examples of that in 1 in, uh, Corinthians 2, in verses 4 and 5, Paul says that his speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he very much recognized that there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power that took place in preaching. And later on in that same book in chapter 3, as he's discussing the distinction between uh, what he had done and what Apollos had done, he, he said that he had planted and Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Hmm. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So we have, we have good indication from the scripture to, to recognize that really it's, it's the Holy Spirit who supplies the power. And that helps us. It helps every preacher to be able to say to himself, there is no technique of mine that possesses the spiritual power to transform a human heart. There is no eloquence that can roll off my lips that possesses the power to transform a human heart. What I have are human words that are vested with merely human power
1: mm-hmm. and
0: if they are to do miraculous spiritually transformative work the work of of saving or of sanctifying then it must be the holy spirit who does it it must be god himself who does this work of new birth in the same way that god himself did the work of creative birth in the beginning and again this is where i think the question answer 89 of the shorter catechism is helpful again it asks how is the word made effectual to salvation. And the very first thing it says is, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. So, you know, the result of that, the result that every preacher hopes for is that when the Holy Spirit is, is in your words, when the Holy Spirit is empowering the very human things that you are saying, then something really miraculous takes place. And Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, when he says that he thanks God constantly uh, for this very important thing, he says that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work within you. Mm. Now, how does that take place unless the spirit of God causes it to take place? If the spirit of God is not actively moving through the preacher's Work and if the Spirit of God is not opening the ears and the hearts of the listeners, then then human words will fall on dead human ears. Right. And so if we're really seeking to locate the power in preaching, it has to be in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. To my mind, that gives me a lot of confidence because Paul said Paul said something in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 that just about every preacher has probably quoted to himself on a number of occasions. He said, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And Paul could say that, and every preacher can say that, because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the power. Not only am I freed from the necessity to seek to manipulate people or to maneuver their emotions to create some kind of a response but i that's that's not real preaching anyway you know i think sometimes when people hear that then they think well then why should i learn how to preach why should i practice preaching why should i hone preaching skills if it's only the holy spirit then why shouldn't i just get up in in, in the pulpit on a sunday morning and zip through the bible and put my finger on a passage and then just randomly start talking about it expecting the holy spirit to speak through me. But but the, you know, divine sovereignty and human responsibility uh, work together. And the truth that the Holy Spirit is the power behind preaching does not mean that you should not work hard at preaching. Mm. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you think of a human being, uh, a man will choose the instrument that is most fit for the task he seeks to accomplish. And if you've ever tried to chop down a tree with a dull ax, you know, it's horrible. It's a terrible bit of hard work. But if you ever chop down a tree with a razor-sharp axe, it's almost a pleasure because you choose the right instrument for, for the work. And I think as preachers, it's our responsibility to make ourselves the sharpest instruments in the hands of the Holy Spirit that we're capable of being. Right. Now He still has to wield you. He still has to supply the power. But you, preacher, devote yourself to the work of learning how to preach. Devote yourself to developing skills. Make yourself the most fit instrument in the hands of the Spirit that you are capable of becoming. So we can recognize that the Holy Spirit supplies the power and still work hard to become good
1: preachers. The problem lies when there's an overemphasis on the divine sovereignty or the human responsibility, where we're just going to give it all up to God. And, you know, I think R.C. Sproul uh, called what you described as lucky dipping. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just you just open up the Bible and you pick a passage and then then you start reading. And then the other side of that is just being enslaved to cultural trends and, and current events. I remember when I was um, when I was in college, I had a pastor tell me that after a very well known book came out, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and, and name it. It's called the Purpose Driven Life. After the the Purpose Driven Life came out. He attended a uh, association meeting, and at the meeting, you know, you have a gathering of forty to fifty pastors. and uh, the the author of that book was known for wearing Hawaiian t-shirts, very, very floral t-shirts. And uh, he said at that meeting, after the book came out, every just about every pastor there was wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt. And they were trying to, you know, imitate this. Very gifted pastor and this very gifted author, um, but that just goes to show how tempted we are to, you know, to buy into these these schemes. And we, I want to be the next so and so and so. I'm going mm-hmm. to look. I'm going to look the part. I'm going to dress the part. I'm gonna gonna preach the part. I even heard Pastor uh, Kevin DeYoung mention one time that his first uh, couple years of preaching, he 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 says that they were terrible because he was trying so very hard to preach exactly like John Piper. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it just...
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned Brian Chappell earlier, and Brian Chapel used to say that your first 150 sermons are throwaways. <laughs> and just ponder that for a minute. If you're preaching three years full-time, you've preached 150 sermons. Mm. But the reason he said that is, that is for exactly the things that you were saying, is that that uh, each... each preacher needs to find his own mojo, needs to find his own voice. There is an old uh, 19th century uh, Episcopalian preacher by the name of Phillips Brooks, and Brooks famously defined preaching as truth through personality. Hmm. And the word, when he used the word personality, he didn't so much mean it like we would use it today in terms of, you know, a Myers-Briggs personality profile or something. He used it in many respects in the same way that we would use the word personhood. And it was an incarnational understanding of preaching, that God doesn't just use automatons, he uses men, each with their own individual strengths and weaknesses, their own history, their own education, their background, their temperaments, and that he uses that, he uses them in particular, he calls them as people, not to be imitators of another man, but to speak with their own voice and from their own background and their own experience.
1: Right, um, and... We see that with the authors in scripture. Yes. Now there's, there's a big difference between Luke's writings and Paul's writings. And yeah, yeah, that that has been the divine witness. So how does, how do you prepare for preaching pastor Russ? I know we've talked about this in the past and uh, you've shared this with my homiletics class and I was pretty impressed by it, but how do you, what's the very first step when you, when you begin preparing a, a sermon? Well,
0: uh, let me give a broad answer and a narrow answer. So the, the broad answer is that uh, I've read a lot of old books by preachers over the course of a few years. And so some of, their, some of them get muddled in my mind. I can't find the exact quote, but, <laughs> but one old preacher was talking about uh, uh, a young person who was really impressed with his sermon, came up to him after the, the service of worship and said, Pastor, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon? And the pastor answered, my entire life. With the recognition that everything is preparation for preaching, because preaching is that incarnational thing. And so your education is preparation. Your family life is preparation. Your experiences are preparation. Uh, Your prayer is preparation. Your Bible study is preparation. Worship and the sacraments are preparation. God uses the whole man. And so the whole of the man's life, in some respects, is the preparation behind each sermon. But more specifically, uh, the, the first thing that I do is, is do a translation of the, the passage that I'm going to be working on. Uh, and I pray, and then I study. And I try to submit myself not only to the information of the text, but also the purpose for which the author intended to use the information. Um, and this is a mistake that's easy to fall into. Uh, I read a, an old 19th century sermon by a pastor who was preaching on uh, Jesus encouraging people with the notion that that their heavenly Father knows what they need, that the Gentiles chase after these things, but that they should be seeking first the the kingdom of God, and Jesus used that to comfort the people to whom he was speaking and to encourage them to pursue righteousness. Well. What Jesus used in order to comfort them was the doctrine of God's providence. God providentially provides, and he even provides for the lilies of the field. But this preacher took the same truth of providence, the information from Jesus' words, but then he used it to debate the claims of deistic science. (laughs) And so instead of using it for the purpose that the divine author intended, he used the divine author's words for a purpose that he himself intended. So what I try to do after doing you know uh, exegetical work and and praying and uh, I want to to locate and then submit to both the informational content of the, the text but also the purpose am I am I using the this to do the same thing that the divine author was using and then I ruminate and uh, what I mean by that is that uh, in any given week I'll I'll be preaching a sermon that I probably wrote 4 to 6 weeks before then. And part of the reason for that is that I want to stir on, I want to think about, I want to dwell on, I want to ruminate, I want to slow cook a sermon. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's like making a big batch of soup where you just let it simmer. And part of, part of the reason for that is that is that you begin then not only to, to understand that word better, but you begin to think through the implications and applications uh, more clearly. You begin to think through the implications and applications in reference to the particular people to whom you're speaking and where they are. And you have particular people in, in mind, and it leads to depth and specificity that that writing a sermon on a Saturday night can never, can never accomplish. It allows me to ask questions. Haddon uh, Robinson used to refer to these as the six faithful friends. Who, what, where, when, why, how? And ask those of the text, who should do what the text is asking you to do? What does it mean to do that? And what would it look like? And how would your life change if you did it? What's preventing you from doing it? Where do I do this? In what circumstances do I do it? Are there other circumstances that call for a different response? Why do this? How do I go about doing it? How does it differ for a single mother of three children to do it than it does for... A married couple of baby boomers who are retired in their 70s. Me, all of those things come with rumination as you return again and again to a passage of scripture and seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to mine it for what is really there.
1: Yeah. And, and you mentioned in our homiletics class, correct me if I'm wrong, but after preaching a sermon, you store that sermon for later, correct?
0: No, actually, the first thing I do is throw it away, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and and the reason that I do that is uh, I don't ever want to come back to a text and just reread or regurgitate uh, what I did a year or two years or three years before, uh, and that's for two reasons. One, I'm not the same person because the Holy Spirit has done work in me between between that time and now, and, and two, the people to whom I'm speaking are not identical. The situation is not identical. The time of year is not, there's nothing that's identical about it. And so that work of going back and doing the exegetical work again and praying again, and then spending weeks ruminating again, bears new and hopefully deeper fruit and makes, makes it, imperative upon me to apply the word to the people who are sitting before me, not to the audience that was sitting before me three or five or seven years ago.
1: That's great. So if you had one book on preaching that you would recommend to a young preacher, which would it be?
0: It'd have to be chapels, Christ-centered preaching. Um, There are a couple of reasons for that. One, I think that he does a fantastic job with hermeneutics. And he talks about why we preach and what it means to preach from a redemptive perspective. But then he provides a structure. And this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to know how to take information from a text and present it in a way that people understand. And Chapel provides a replicable structure and a good explanation of how to do it in in a way that that few books do. Uh, And I think just as, as an overall introductory Preaching text, I don't think that you can go wrong with
1: it. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't know if you knew this, but um when I first mentioned to a friend that I had you for a homiletics course at a Covenant Seminary, uh, my friend who I will not name said, You preach the Chapelian method, the Brian Chappell method of preaching, better than Brian Chappell himself. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, I think I would debate that. I, I didn't know if you knew that, but <laughs> that's the word on campus, so. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last question. All right. Sure. We've only got about a minute or two left. Do you remember your first sermon? Yes, I do. Can you and tell me was, the text?
0: Uh, I believe it was First Corinthians 1 uh Where Paul asked the questions, "Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yeah, I think that was the first one, and it was in some small basement room with a chapel at Covenant Seminary 20 something years ago.
1: Oh sure, with yeah. uh, Dr. Yarborough.
0: Uh, actually, it was with uh, it was with a local pastor by the name of Doug Mady,
1: and uh, hundreds, hundreds came to Christ, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, my classmates ripped me to shreds, and I learned a lot.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Doctor Russ, for for coming on. Um, yeah, thanks for having a, me. It's been a pleasure talking to you once again, and uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for continuing to pastor at Twin Oaks Prez, and and I highly recommend everyone if you if you have if you'd like to hear uh, Pastor Russ preach, you can find Twin Oaks Presbyterian Church from St. Louis, Missouri. They're online, Facebook. And I believe you guys are live-streamed every week, right? Yes, we are. Well, you certainly are now, since we are <laughs> still in quarantine.
0: Yeah, we're, we've been live-streaming for a while. So, so praise God that we have that set up and in place.
1: Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We'll We'll talk to you later.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to The Timothy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it with friends. This is a new podcast, so we rely heavily on your support and your reviews. If you have a suggestion for us, feel free to send us a message on any of our pages. We are located on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Timothy Podcast is a production of the Assurance of Pardon Network. Assurance of Pardon is a network of podcasts committed to the gospel, the Bible, and the church. You can discover more about us at assuranceofpardon.com. We are a growing network, so please make sure to check out our other shows. Until next time, grace and peace.